This is the Six Figure Home Studio Podcast, episode 94. You're listening to the Six Figure Home Studio Podcast, the number one resource for running a profitable home recording studio. Now your hosts, Brian Hood and Chris Graham. Welcome back to another episode of the Six Figure Home Studio Podcast. I am your host, Brian Hood, and I'm here with my bald, beautiful, amazing, baby-faced co-host. You're not baby-faced. Chris Graham. Chris, how you doing, baby-faced? Man, I'm always doing good with an intro like that. I need some equivalent intro to talk about how great you are. Uh, I don't feel like baby-faced is a good thing. Like, I would hate if you called me baby-faced. Yeah, I feel like... I would need to think about really specific compliments that you would receive well and that wouldn't make you uncomfortable. Nothing makes me uncomfortable, man. I mean, you know, I'm interesting. I was going to say I'm an eight on the Enneagram. We had like a really good discussion in our Facebook community about the Enneagram. I was surprised by how many people knew about it or even expressed interest about it. One person specifically mentioned, and we're not going to go down this rabbit hole too far, but I love these rabbit holes. Someone mentioned it sounded really like the astrological signs or whatever, like how... You know, like I was born as a Capricorn and so therefore I will live this life. No, like John Tidy mentioned that. Yeah, it's yeah. not at all like that at all. It's just like, <laughs> it's more like a personality kind of assessment. I mean, we probably shouldn't talk about episode ideas during our banter on the intro, but <laughs> I, I do have this idea I've been working on it where if we had situations that audio engineers or producers or, you know, our audience typically gets into and then we had an Enneagram expert, which would probably be my wife. She's read like four books. What are her credentials, Chris? I don't, I don't accept guests on the podcast without a PhD in Enneagram. Is that even a thing? She has the same credentials we do, which is she's good at self-teaching. <laughs> she's read some books. <laughs> yeah, we don't have any credentials. I just realized that. We have zero yeah. credentials. I've got a bachelor in communication, Yeah, but more on that later. <laughs> <laughs> Emphasis on moron. <laughs> it would be interesting to have different scenarios where it's like, okay, you know, the artist storms in and is furious that the revisions weren't correct. How does an eight respond to that? How does a five respond to that? How does a one respond to that? So for those who don't even know, I'm going to quickly just say the Enneagram boils down to nine different personality types. We're not going to cover them here. I think a good episode would be just doing a good overview of what each of the nine types are and kind of like how to self-assess. But the best thing about the Enneagram is interpersonal relationships. Trevor, who was on podcast episode 71, I think it's one of the only interviews that we did without me. It was on my honeymoon. My best friend, Trevor, was on the podcast. His company, Soundstripe, they have 30, 40, 50 people working there now. And every single person has on their Slack profile what their Enneagram number is if you hover their mouse over their profile. And that helps them understand how to deliver certain news or you know something that's like a negative thing. You approach each of the numbers in a different way. And I think if we all understood that in the studio that would save a lot of heartache between band members and between you and band members. And if you understood yourself, and that's the big thing. I think a lot of us don't really understand ourselves well enough to know how, why we react a certain way or how to approach a certain situation a certain way. So, so I have two things to say to that. The first that's so interesting is that you and I get along so well because we're weird and because we're eights, criticism is almost like a love language for us. Yeah, it is. To say you could be doing better at this. I get like, warm and fuzzy and I feel loved. We regularly yell at each other at like high volumes, arguing (laughs) about like something passionately. We probably should do it more. Yeah. At the end of it, we're like energized and love each other. Like it's amazing. We're not like screaming at each other, but we're just like passionately 
arguing about like a topic or something in our own businesses and we're just talking business and it's because of our personality. We're like gym rats, power lifters, except <laughs> instead of encouraging each other to lift more weight, it's like, you could grow that faster. Oh my gosh. We are some <laughs> scrawny power lifters, bro. I just will say this. If you are interested in learning more about the Enneagram, it's probably a good primer for some of our future content if we go down this rabbit hole. So go to, it'll be in the show notes, the Enneagraminstitute.com. They have an assessment on there. It's like 12 bucks. It seems stupid to pay for an assessment. Believe me, it is well worth it. It will take a while to get through. And I did it years ago. And I think I want to do it again just to kind of see if I come in right with the same things. I'm probably going to do it again here. I'm going to say this um, for those of you that are like, this sounds dumb. I totally agree. <laughs> it does sound dumb. Yeah. But so does like pizza. If you've <laughs> never heard of pizza before, it sounds really dumb. We're just going to put tomatoes and cheese and then pepperonis onto a thinly stretched piece of dough. And then we're going to put it into a really hot oven. It sounds crazy, but the Enneagram is kind of, when I took the assessment, I was like, this is dumb. Until you read a description that is like, holy shit, this is me. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I love that our banter turns into podcast episode topics. It's true. (laughs) This is not meant to be so. All right, let's move on to the topic of today's episode. Chris? Yeah. You remember what we talked about last week? No. (laughs) And the thing (laughs) is, I I genuinely believe that you don't remember what we talked about last week. No, no. We we talked about what to do when you're working on your business, not for your business. Yeah. So I was out of town on vacation like earlier this month. So now Chris and I are like hustling week to week to get next week's episode out. So this episode (laughs) comes out in like five days. Last week, we talked about ways to work on your business so that you can save time. Today, now that you've saved all this time from what we talked about last week, we're going to talk about how to use that time to again, work on your business, but this time onto things that specifically help your income. And if you listen to the Six Figure Home Studio podcast, your studio's income is probably of utmost importance or else you wouldn't listen to a podcast called the Six Figure Home Studio podcast. Am I wrong here, Chris, or is that a pretty fair assessment? You greedy jerks. All you guys want is more money. (laughs) No, it's not. It's not. But we are trying to make a living so that we can enjoy doing audio. Totally. And so I would say this episode is very, very much inspired by a book called The E-Myth Revisited by Michael Gerber. The book's called The E-Myth Revisited. The book is called that. Yes. Not The E-Myth Revisited by Michael Gerber. (laughs) It's called The E-Myth Revisited. Thank you for that clarification. (laughs) I think. And uh, (laughs) you can cut all this shit out, James. It doesn't matter. No, no. Leave it in. Leave it all in. So this book, one of the best parts about this community that's kind of formed around this podcast is it's so fun to see like an Instagram story or somebody posted on Facebook or whatever, like, oh my gosh, I read this book that they recommended and it was amazing. It blew my mind. That's like one of the things that I love the most about doing this podcast is seeing people take their own education into their own hands. And I'll say this, I'm blown away at how infrequently the book, The E-Myth Revisited is mentioned. It's so good. Yeah, it's true. We see book recommendations all the time in our community and I can count on one hand how many times that book has been recommended. Yeah, that book is easily in my top three. If you are in the service industry and attempting to run a business, it's must read. It's so good. It was written in the 90s, but it still totally applies in 2019 or whatever year it is that you happen to be listening to this podcast. I think the reason the book still applies is because they don't talk about specifics. They talk about kind of overarching principles and mindset behind how to approach your business. And I think that stuff never goes out of style. But there is a good follow-up. If you do finish that book and you want a little bit more in-depth, like step-by-step specifics, there's a book by Dan Carpenter called Work the System that goes really into detail on how to systemize your business. So that's probably one that's more tactical 
but I would not read that one until you read the E-Myth Revisited. I'm going to say one more thing on the E-Myth Revisited, and then we're going to dive in on some actionables that you guys can use to grow your businesses now that you've saved some time working on your business, not for it. And again, first step, when you begin to work on your business, not for it, is to create more time. Yeah. Not necessarily to get more customers. You want to create more time so that you have the time to focus on getting more customers. When I finished reading the E-Myth Revisited, I closed that book. My first thought was I would trade my entire college education to have read this book as a 19-year-old entering college. <laughs> that is what, a $30,000 book? Fifty-five. <laughs> $55,000 book. Holy yeah. shit. Yeah, I read it and was like, hmm, yep, all these things are going to work really, really well, and uh, here we go. And it was so wild to go back. I read it, put a bunch of this stuff into action, and I read the book again a year or two or three later, and I was blown away because the business had like doubled or tripled in size by the time I reread it, and I was like reading it. I was like, oh my gosh, all this stuff worked, and it was wild to read that book and have that experience, and it was so empowering just to know like, man, this little book that's a quarter of an inch thick like has this super measurable impact. So without further ado, how to work on your business, not for it. Step two, you got some time. Now it's time to get some more customers and make some more money. We're going to talk about all the different places you can work on your business, not for it. It's going to be dope. Yeah. So actually, before we get into that, we're going to talk about sponsors first. Oh yeah. And before you hit the fast forward button, this is not your normal sponsor segment. First sponsor today is... LaCroix. Oh, crack open a LaCroix. Yeah. They don't pay us, but they still sponsor us. They sustain us. That is a sponsor we've made zero dollars from, but I just love cracking open a new can of LaCroix on the podcast with a bunch of gain reduction on the sound. Real sponsor actually is get your gear slot out, James. Here we go. The Mix Pre 3. Chris, tell me about the Mix Pre 3 real quick. Okay. So we don't really take gear sponsorships. No. But if it's a situation where it can make our lives better and it can make the podcast better. We're super duper open to it. The guys at Sound Devices sent us both Mix Pre 3s. We've been using them on the podcast for the past couple months. A Mix Pre 3 is kind of like a Zoom recorder. It's a little SD card recorder, except the Mix Pre 3. You've heard us talk about it. It has made making the podcast so much easier because one, it sounds amazing. And two, it records directly to an SD card. And three, you can record to an SD card and your DAW at the same time. Which is what I'm doing right now. I have Pro Tools going with my audio, Pro Tools going with Chris's audio from the Mix Pre 3. And then I also have it recording to an SD card on the device itself. And one interesting thing was I forgot to stop recording like on our first episode ever. And this thing recorded for two days straight without stopping, without any errors. That was on a Tuesday. When we came back Thursday to record the next episode, I noticed it was still recording and I had to go back and like delete 48 hours of audio. So it, it works. Beat that, Pro Tools. Yeah. Beat yeah. that. Pro Tools yeah. would never do that. That's for no, sure. No, never. So yeah, it's rock solid stable. The pre's are awesome. It's got like, what, 78 dBs of gain per pre, which is science fiction. That's insane. Okay. Now you're getting too slutty over here, Chris. Sorry. Absolutely incredible gear. Such good stuff. And now we have two more sponsors who aren't really sponsors. They're just our own, <laughs> our own companies. This is true. FilePass.com is a sponsor, Chris. Do you want to tell them about FilePass.com? So FilePass, you're working on a project. You've finished the mixes. You've sent them to the client and the client's like, hey, I'm going to text you some revisions. And then I'm going to Instagram direct message you some revisions. And then I'm going to email you some revisions. And then all my other band members are going to do exactly the same thing <laughs> and ruin your freaking life. Welcome to Revision Hell. Welcome to Revision Hell. FilePass is an amazing system that lets 
you upload to FilePass, then the artist goes to FilePass and they can drop little markers in the audio and they can suggest, request, whatever you want to phrase that, revisions. And then you can also do this really cool thing. You can put a paywall behind the final mixes. So each revision you upload, they can't download. They can only listen to it through FilePass if you choose to use this feature. And then when they're like, that's approved, then they can pay you the final amount of money they owe you before you give them the files. This is a good way to make the software the bad guy where you're not the one chasing down payments. And it keeps the leverage on the table. So they cannot download the files until they pay. Instead of you sending files off and they still owe you money and now you have to chase them down when it comes time to finalize the project. So trying to save a lot of awkward conversations from people. Indeed. Fun fact. Somebody mentioned in the Facebook group the other day, we were like, yeah, you overestimate like how people will just rip, you know, they'll plug the eighth inch output jack of their computer and they'll just rip it right off of FilePass. If you're concerned about that, you should go back and listen to every episode of our podcast because you are going after the wrong customers. Yeah. I will say this though, whether or not it's a problem, which it has not been for any of our customers, we are going to actually introduce something called watermarks to address that issue. So you'll see that in the future on filepass.com. Every 30 seconds, the watermark's going to say chrisgrandmastering.com. God, no. Okay, so this is the third, fourth, fifth sponsor of today. I don't know how many we're at. This is not a real sponsor either, but this is Too many. Chris's new baby. It's called Bounce Butler. You can go to bouncebutler.com and get a, can you sign up for free trial yet? Or can I say that or no? You can sign up for early access for now. And uh, I will let you in a few people at a time. We're still in testing mode, but yeah. what's it do, Brian? So the coolest thing about this is say I have three or four different albums I'm working on and I've finished them all and they've all signed off from the label, everybody, but they want a vocal up version. They want a vocal down version. They want instrumental versions. Well, I'm on Pro Tools 12.4, so it's not as bad as it could be, but that's still a nightmare to bounce 30 songs down with three to four different versions of each song. That's like 30 to 40 files I have to bounce down. That's a nightmare. Some people have even more than that. So what Bounce Butler does is I can literally just save the versions of each of those sessions and then use Bounce Butler to select every single session and it will automatically bounce every one of those versions down for me. So instead of me manually bouncing down one version at a time for 40 times in a row or my assistant doing that worse, I can just have a piece of software that does it all automatically. Literally, you can sit there and watch it do it or you can do what I would do, which is just go in the other room and play video games and then it'll, will it still text me when I'm done or is that just- It will text you when it's done bouncing. It'll send me a text message when it's done bouncing down 50 files. So you can go to sign up for early access at bouncebutler.com. Does it do anything else cool that I failed to mention? If you're in Pro Tools, there's an option for it to copy each bounce into a Dropbox folder, which means you could be like driving somewhere and your studio is still working for you and your phone has all the completed bounces on it as they complete. So you could even be like away from the studio and check all your mixes in your car and be like, these sound great. I'm going to share a link with the client. Just wait till we have a FilePass and Bounce Butler integration so you can just do it all on FilePass. It's going to be dope. One more note is if you're on Pro Tools, what is it, 10 or 11, before they introduced offline bouncing, can you imagine bouncing down 50 versions of files in real time? Like that's literally like... I've had many people reach out to me and share that that's their life. They spend a lot of time doing that. Yeah, now when you just go to bed, set it to bounce all the files down. If Pro Tools crashes, which it does... Bounce Butler's smart enough to know that and it'll reopen the session and close out all the error messages and stuff. Currently, Bounce Butler supports Pro Tools, Cubase, Ableton, Logic, and Reaper. That's beautiful. All right, let's actually get into some meat of the episode. We're like, how far are we? We talked about the Enneagram. We talked about LaCroix. We talked about Mixed Breathe. We talked about all this stuff. We're almost 20 minutes episode. 
And we haven't actually talked about a topic yet, but this is why we have like hour long episodes. And this is probably going to be a long one today because we have a lot of stuff to talk about. Back to the topic today, working on your business, specifically working on your business on something that's going to give you more money at the end of the day. We're going to actually talk about three different areas you can work on. There's a lot of different areas you can work on that are going to help you earn more money, but three specific areas. And we're going to talk about it in the form of a sales funnel. Chris, do you want to explain a sales funnel? I know there's three parts. There's the top of your funnel, the middle of your funnel, the bottom of your funnel, but this is marketing speak. And this can kind of really confuse people. And a lot of people might tune out if we are not really thorough of explaining what a sales funnel is. You'll understand it. Yeah, but you will understand it. And we're going to give you some tactical stuff you can do in each of these three areas when you're working on your business. So if you know what a funnel is, a funnel is this like kind of conical thingy that you pour a bunch of stuff in one side and it brings it all down to a small hole. Yeah. So like an AeroPress has a funnel to pour the coffee into the AeroPress if you're an AeroPress user. Yeah. We're coffee nerds here on the podcast. Are there any other types of funnels you would like to uh, explain? Uh, There's a beer bong. That's kind of a funnel. (laughs) (laughs) That's just true. A beer bong has a funnel on it. (laughs) So your top of funnel is people who have never heard about you or this is the first time they've ever heard about you. And they're thinking, hmm, this company sounds interesting. It's their first impression. What's going to happen is that you're a lot of people, if you're doing a good job with marketing, lots of people will hear about you. But only a couple people will end up hiring you, a small percentage of them. So you have to reach out to a huge number of people to get the number of people you want to hire you. There's no such thing as a sales pipe, which is, hey, I reach out to 100 people and then all those 100 people ask for a quote. And then I gave 100 people a quote and then all 100 people hired me. That's never, ever, 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 ever happened. And the only times it has happened is when like Bernie Madoff or something like that was selling a a freaking crook product and trying to ruin people's lives. So it's a funnel. You have to be okay, first and foremost, that people are going to hear about you and not be interested. That's true. That's fine. Don't let your most immature self freak out that some people are like, I don't know, that sounds kind of dumb. Yeah, so I like to, just if you're visually looking at what a funnel looks like, it's kind of an upside down triangle. If you're unfamiliar with what the word funnel is, maybe there's a language barrier, but upside down triangle the top is the biggest part. And that's your overall awareness for your studio. That's the way I like to look at it. I say top of funnel, the acronym I like to use is tofu, top of funnel, tofu. It's not just a delicious meat alternative. Actually, it's a slimy meat alternative, but whatever. It's delicious. You shut your mouth. (laughs) So good. So top of funnel is tofu. That's all the awareness you have for your studio. Middle of funnel, that's mofu. That's how many people of those people that are aware of your studio, MoFu is the number of people that are interested in working with you. That's in my opinion, what MoFu is. Yeah. Bottom of funnel, what I call BoFu is of all those conversations you have with people, how many of them end up converting to paid customers? So how many of them give you hard earned dollars? So those are the three big areas. Top of funnel is all about creating more awareness for your studio. The middle of funnel is all about creating more interest in working with you. And the bottom of funnel is turning all that interest into dollars. Those are the three major areas. Pretty easy to follow, I think, unless there's something I'm missing, Chris. Oh, gosh. I had no idea about any of this stuff when I first started my business. Yeah, me either. I don't even remember the first time I learned the concept of a sales funnel, but it was probably sometime in 2014 or 15. And my assessment of what a funnel is has changed over the years. And I'll say, if anything, it's gotten much, much, much more simple than what I initially thought it was. So that's why I like to just do it three main sections, tofu, mofu, and bofu. And that's kind of what we're going to talk about for the rest of this episode, because there are certain things you can do to work on your business in each of these three areas. And every single one of these things is going to lead to more money if you can implement these things correctly. Now, it may not be things overnight that are going to give you more money, but the whole concept is put a little bit of time in now 
to fix something in one of these three areas so that long-term over the next six, 12, 18 months, you are better off financially. So Chris, let's start with the top of the funnel here, which actually seems like the most obvious place to start. I personally believe you need to start at the bottom of the funnel, which maybe we'll get to if we have time, but I'm not going to get into it today, unfortunately. Yeah. I don't know if I agree with that. I started at top of funnel and here's my thought. I think what a lot of people do when they start at the bottom of the funnel is they build the wrong bottom of the funnel. That's interesting. And that's dangerous. I think the most important thing to do is to get a lot of awareness and to see what happens. And so you put the word out, hey, I do this thing. You start running ads. Maybe you, you know, figure out, you start making YouTube videos. I don't know. We'll talk more about that here in just a minute. But you get awareness for your studio up. You get awareness for your business up. And you hopefully, if you've done a good job here, if you have a good offering, it starts conversations. And when you get those conversations started, you have a good idea of, oh, I'm advertising in the wrong parts of the internet. Or, oh my gosh, everybody wants me for this one thing. I didn't realize I thought they'd want me for this other thing. So assumptions are what really kills you. Assumptions are the worst possible thing that can happen when you're doing this sort of stuff. So my thought is build your top of funnel, get as much awareness about your brand as you possibly can. I promise we're going to tell you how to do that in just a minute. Do that and all of the information that you gather while doing that will dramatically help you figure out middle and bottom of funnel. I think you've changed my mind. And this is something I'm working on right now, a, a new, like a free email course on sales funnels, which I'll talk about probably towards the end of this, a way to get that whenever I finish it. I've been kind of positioning that as starting from the bottom up. I may still do that, but I like your argument there, which is if you don't have any traffic or any awareness for your studio at the top of your funnel, how do you truly know what to build out at the bottom of your funnel? Again, I might have a different argument by the time we get to the end of this conversation, but we'll see. Let's start here at the top of our funnel now, Chris. Well, let me throw one other thing in. If you've never built a sales funnel before, I would strenuously argue you should start with the top. If you've done this a bunch of times, I don't think starting at the top is as important as it usually is, but I think it's still probably pretty important. I think there's plenty of arguments for someone like you who's built a bunch of sales funnels to start from the bottom. Well, I think most people are probably confused right now. So if by the time we get to the end of this conversation, they'll be a lot more equipped to understand the pros and cons of both approaches. So let's start at the top here. Working on your business, you've saved all this time from the last episode we talked about in episode 93. And you've scheduled it. This is important. You have scheduled it. Let me say that one more time. You have scheduled the time to work on your business, not for it. I don't know any other way. I have no other fancy ninja business ideas if there's not a specific time that you've scheduled, at least for a season in life, where it's like, hey, for two hours from on Wednesday from 1 p.m. to 3 p.m., that's when I work on my business, not for it. I don't take calls. I don't check social media. I don't take projects. I don't meet with clients. I only work on not for. That is a life-changing habit to get into. That's freaking fantastic. And that's probably something I need to get back into. I used to work that way. Now I work more from a list point of view instead of a block point of view. Top of funnel. Let's talk about some different areas to work on the top of your funnel, creating awareness for your studio. Of the things we have on our list right now, Chris, which one do you want to tackle first for working on your business to the top of your funnel? Well, here's the thing. We don't have this on our outline. We probably should. We're going to talk about I'm just going to run through what we're going to talk about real quick. We're going to talk about Facebook ads, Google ads, your Google business listing, and as well as getting proper credit for your work, something I could do way, way better at. But here's the thing. When you're thinking about your top of funnel, one of the first things you need to do is think about who are you trying to get? 
Is it just anybody? That won't work because it's expensive to advertise to everybody. You have to narrow down who the type of person is that you are trying to get interested in you and where they are on the internet. Yeah, so if you go back to episode 82, we have an entire episode on how to create a customer avatar that will skyrocket your marketing efforts. If you try to approach this episode and working on the top of your sales funnel without first listening through that episode and then taking action on that episode to figure out, find, and create your customer avatar, then you will struggle continuously on this part. So first do episode 82 if you haven't already. Figure out who you're targeting. And the more specific you can be, the better off you're going to be. But now let's talk about Facebook. Chris, working on your business, specifically, let's just say Facebook ads. If you want to start running Facebook ads, my first advice is one, figure out who you are trying to advertise to. I would give them a name. It's probably a friend of yours. It's probably someone that you know that you can be like, yeah, my friend Steve, he really was a perfect customer. Where can I find more Steves? That's the right first question. The next thing you need to do is you need to figure out how do you target Steves? Target is when you're on any sort of advertising platform, you tell it, here's the people I want to see this ad. You might say, hey, I only want my ad to show to people who like the band System of a Down, right? So you're going to get a really specific type of person that has gone out of their way to like System of a Down on Facebook. And so Facebook will take that targeting information and will only show it to those people. The second thing I would do is figure out a budget. Don't just throw money at Facebook ads or Google or whatever. If you do, you're going to pay something called the stupidity tax. Mm Mm-hmm that's going to come out and bite you and it's not going to go well. But if you figure out a budget and you say, I'm going to spend $3 per day or I'm going to spend $5 per day or I'm going to spend a dollar per day, whatever it happens to be, you can set that up in any of the places that you would run paid ads. Do that first and then just commit to, hey, I'm going to spend 100 bucks or 150 bucks or 300 bucks per month, whatever it happens to be, and just accept that that money's gone. Let me just mention something, whether it's Facebook ads or Google ads, doesn't make a difference to me. I think there are pros and cons for both. I think it depends on what sort of business you have and what sort of people you're targeting and what your services are. The first step for me, if you're working on your business and you're trying to implement some sort of paid advertising thing, I would absolutely educate myself on which of the two platforms is best for my business model. And then how to actually utilize that platform to its maximum potential. If you listen to our podcast all the time, we talk about a lot of different things. However, Facebook ads, Google ads are not something we talk about all the time, even though they are a big part of both Chris and I's businesses. It's not a topic we talk about all the time. However, there are podcasts out there specifically suited towards running Facebook ads or Google ads. So I would really highly encourage anyone who's looking to work on their business, make sure you are taking an education related to that topic regularly as you're trying to focus on that thing. So again, if you're starting at the top here and you haven't really thought through the rest of your funnel, I would not go straight to paid ads because then you're going to spend a bunch of money and they're going to not have anywhere to go. You're not going to have it utilized correctly. Then you're going to say, oh, Facebook ads don't work. So it's a waste of time. That's not the right way to approach it. There's some other things you can work on at the top of your funnel that are going to probably yield you better results. But there's also books out there. Chris, what book do you have in your hand right now? Well, this is one of my first business books. and you can hear how thick it is sound effect it's a bigger book it is the definitive guide to google adwords by mr perry marshall when i first got my website up and i thought wow this is a good website i think i could probably convince strangers to hire me for mastering i met with a friend of mine his name is chris welter and chris welter i told him my problem and chris welter has a doctorate in entrepreneurial studies 
And he said, have you heard of Perry Marshall? And I said, no, I have not. And he said, you should go look into him. The first thing I started to do in my business when I was really dedicated to working on, not for it, on Wednesday afternoons, I got online and for 50 bucks, I downloaded a digital copy of this book. And then I contacted a local printer and I had them print it out because I wanted to have the physical copy so I could highlight and ink it up and stuff. And I got there to pick it up and this crazy old guy that owned the print shop was like, Google ads, sounds like a waste of money to me. <laughs> Little did he know, it was not a waste of money at all. I had an argument inside our Facebook community with someone who had that point of view with Facebook ads. And I just had to remind myself that I can't change everyone's mind. But I will say that if you have that point of view or you just staunchly think that paid advertising is not something you should do, I would highly encourage you to first get rid of that sort of mindset. But second, we have a full episode on this, episode 23, why you might need to advertise for your studio. I think that goes down the advertising rabbit hole far enough. But I would say this, Facebook ads, Google ads, both work well for any sort of business. You just have to find the way that works best for you in your business and your location. Amen. Oh my gosh, that was so good. If you cannot crack that code, you're going to struggle with it. And not everyone can crack that code. Not everyone even needs to crack that code. You may not even need paid advertising to make your business sustainable. But just understand that just because it doesn't work for you doesn't mean it's not going to work for someone else. So don't be stuck in a mindset that's outdated. Yeah. I love what you just said there. So next on our list, we talked about Facebook ads and Google ads. That's just a very broad topic, but that is definitely an area to put some focus on if you have time and you're ready to earn more money. And let me say here, focus on means self-education. Focus on means buying books. It means taking classes. It means watching videos. This is not a tactic you go home and do today. This is a season of your life. Yeah. Facebook ads and Google ads are a season you will go through and it will take a lot of time, effort, frustration. You will probably waste some money on doing it the wrong way for a while. But if you commit to it, commit to a season of this, you'll start to figure out all of the missing pieces that you now can put into place to make this better. And I think honestly, your whole funnel would be better for it if you can get through the season. Totally. Let me address this. I think one of the reasons that people struggle with doing anything like this is because they cannot process that they might spend money that doesn't make any money at all, that they might make a mistake and waste money. Guys, that's business. Well, at least you're not wasting $85,000 on a fail sale degree. <laughs> yeah. Count this as a cheap Ow. education is the way I'd look at it. <laughs> yeah. When you are running paid ads, you are paying for an education. Yep. You are paying to learn about the reality of the marketplace. And sometimes that turns into customers and sometimes that just turns into knowledge. And that knowledge is priceless. And I would put it in kind of a terms of like, don't invest, quote, invest any money into paid advertising that you're not willing and able to lose. That's kind of the place to start. So moving on, Google business listings. This is an area that you can apparently spend a little bit of time on now in order to reap the benefits financially long-term. However, I don't know anything about this. Chris, can you talk about this? Yeah. So I would say if you are a small business and you sell anything and you think that people might Google you before they buy from you, one of the best things you can possibly do is Google how to claim my business on Google. Just search for that and it'll walk you through everything you need to do. Basically, your business now becomes an official location on Google. It's free to set up a Google business listing. It's incredibly powerful. And if you are the type of studio looking for local customers, let me ask you a question. If you're a musician and you're like, I want to go record at a studio, what's the first thing you're going to do? You're going to Google it. You're going to get on your phone. And you're going to be like recording studios in Columbus, Ohio. You're going to look and see 
like who pops up and you're going to make some snap judgments about which ones are legit and which ones aren't before you even go to their webpage. It's true. You're going to pop up and you're going to say, oh, well, this one with 35 five-star reviews looks legit. And this one with one one-star review does not look legit. The guy with one one-star review might have a Grammy. And the guy with 35 five-star reviews might have only recorded high school kids. But that's the nature of the internet is you don't know who those people are, but you make a snap judgment based on how many stars are next to the business and how many reviews have been listed. It is so easy to set up your Google business listening. It is so easy to ask 10 of your previous customers, whether that's a buddy that you did a little bit of free work for or someone that paid you a bunch of money to ask them for at least a couple reviews. You can get people to your website if you have a Google local business listing. It's super effective. It's less important for some and more important for others. But for most of the people listening, if you want local clients, and especially if you're starting out, this is a good thing to do. I still think the Google business listing kind of borderlines between the top of funnel and middle of funnel because it's kind of awareness and interest kind of combined into one. But that doesn't diminish the importance of it if you're trying to get search engine traffic to convert to paid customers in the long run. Totally. Now, fun fact, I'm a little bit of a weird business. I work, you know, with people from all over the world all the time. That's so weird, Chris. <laughs> There's nothing weird about that. Well, here's the thing. I have a Google local business listing. It, it's very helpful. I've gotten a lot of customers, but if my phone rings and there's a 614 area code, which is where I'm from, I don't even answer the phone because so many people find that listing that it's annoying. I had a guy today that was like, oh, we're trying to find a rehearsal space for our band. He scheduled a call with me on my website scheduling form. And I saw what he listed, what the phone call was about. And I was like, ugh, you definitely found me through Google. So it can be annoying, but the upsides dramatically outweigh the downsides. Yeah, I would say most people, that would be a good problem to have is to have too much awareness from Google. Yeah. Let's move on to the next top of funnel activity that you can work on to increase your income over the long term. Getting proper credit for your work. This is a really weird thing to put at the top of the funnel, but I want you to bear with me because this is a huge, huge hole in so many people's businesses. Mine included. It's a tough nut to crack, but think about this. I'm going to use you as an example, Chris, because you're a good example of this. How many clients' songs have you mastered in the past? Can you even put a ballpark figure on that? Probably. It's north of 10,000 for sure. How many of those are you properly credited for mastering services on social media, on Spotify, and or on YouTube? It's a small percentage of that. Could you even ballpark that? Less than 20%, probably less than 10%, maybe less than 5%. Yeah. So like somewhere between 80 and 95% of your past work is not properly crediting you. And when you think about that 10,000 plus songs or however many songs that might be, that is a lot of work out there. I don't know how many streams on Spotify are out there that you're not getting credit for your services. And I know Spotify doesn't have the best credits on there anyways. They only list for, I think, producer. But the point is, if you work on a project and you are not properly credited in the YouTube description or a social media post or in Spotify as a producer or a writer, that is a lot of missing awareness for your studio. I can't tell you how many times I'm in the gym in the morning listening to like a metal track, just trying to keep up and up on like what's working well in metal nowadays, because that's the kind of music I mix. And I hear a mix. It's like, oh shit, that's a really good mix. And I go look at the song credits and Nuclear Blast Records, by the way, is the worst about this. There is never a producer credited on any Nuclear Blast song on Spotify. And it is horrible. 
And so there's a lot of people that are missing out on work when the, a band hears a mix they like and they're thinking about looking for a mixer and they look for the credits for that and they can't find it. Think about how much work you're missing out on, Chris, because they don't see your name on the credits. Yeah. That's probably thousands or so of people that would hit your site per year if you would otherwise been credited properly for that. Part of me hears that, thinks about that. And you're right. It's something I've stuck my head in the sand on and not wanted to really deal with. But with where I'm at in my business right now, part of me thinks it might be good that when you book a project, that there's a form and it's basically by hiring me, you are saying you will credit me on the project. And that's the key to this. Like I can't go back and fix all the stuff I'm not credited for on Spotify. You know how hard it is to get a label to go update the metadata on something that's uploaded to Spotify or whatever. Like I don't even know the proper process for that. I've tried in the past and I've had very little success on that. What has worked is before the project even starts, letting the band and the label know that I want to be credited as Brian Hood from four or five, six recordings. I want those two things specifically on my credits and that has had a high success rate for me. You know what you could do? You could have two rates. You could say, hey, uh, you know, I cost X if I'm credited and I cost X times 1.5 if I'm not credited. The problem with that is though, you're not going to find out if you're credited till after you're done with the project. So that doesn't quite work out well. Well, then you could invoice them. Say, hey, you know, you guys got the credited rate. Looks like you didn't credit me. Here's an invoice or you can just credit me. And I think that would probably, they would find a way to credit you if that were the case. But at the same time, I don't necessarily want them to have a bad taste in their mouth after the project's over because I send them an invoice for something. I would rather have the relationship over the credit. Yeah, me too. So I think the best point is to just have the expectation upfront that they will credit you have an agreement in place. And if they don't do it, so be it. At least you tried. But I think if you just at least express that expectation upfront, make sure you reiterate that when the project's over and that you are going to get be credited on social media and on YouTube and on Spotify, if that's applicable. If you can just get those three areas and you're going to get most of your clients to do it. It's not that they don't do it out of spite or like a hatred for you or the fact they don't want you credited for it. They do it out of ignorance. But I think if you look at one area that does this better than probably anyone is photographers. Photographers are ruthless about this. If you post like my own wedding photos, I can't post my own wedding photos on social media without crediting my photographer or she gets mad at me. And like, we have a good like friendship relationship with our wedding photographer, but like she is adamant about this. She was really cool. Yeah, she's great. Yeah, Steph. So at the end of the day, like it's okay to be ruthless about this as long as you maintain the relationship with the person. But I think anyone that doesn't take this seriously is leaving a lot of awareness on the table because I'll post something to Instagram or Facebook and anyone who's having a wedding in the Nashville area sees her name and they think, oh, I love the vibe of their wedding photos. I'm going to contact Steph. I got a shout out to Steph at your wedding. She was so funny and so crude. (laughs) <laughs> and you know it's a southern wedding very proper dry yeah. wedding yeah and we're like posing for pictures and Steph's like all right guys line up both of our families are very conservative <laughs> yeah she's like all right guys line up butts to balls here we go <laughs> I was like oh my lord girl <laughs> yeah she she was cool but again don't let the point escape us here which is ruthlessly ask for credit, shamelessly ask for credit on all the stuff that you do, because this is a way to generate awareness for your studio. Hands down, this is an easy, easy way that a lot of us are not capitalizing on. So let's move on, Chris, because we got a lot more. We still got middle and bottom of funnel to do, to tackle, and we are so far into this episode. Okay, I'll resist asking questions on that. It's very exciting. So let's move on to the middle of our funnel. We've talked about several different areas that you can invest time to work on your business now to reap the rewards later on financially. But once you've created all this awareness for your studio, 
Now you have to turn that awareness into interest. You have to get people interested in working with you. And there are some things that you can definitely invest time to work on your business now in order to generate more interest from that awareness. So let's talk about some middle of funnel things that you can work on. You can set aside time on to work on your business. And that first one we've already kind of mentioned, and that is reviews. Let's back up for just a minute, because I think we need to address some psychology elephants in the room here. Sure. I think what many people do, myself included as a younger man, and still to this day to some degree, is they believe, well, once people found out about me, you know, they're going to hire me because I'm awesome, you know, and I don't need to do anything. I just got to let them know about me. They're going to hire me. (laughs) (laughs) Your Southern accent is improving. I'm proud of you. Hey, I I appreciate it. I appreciate it. I slowed it down just a little bit there for you. So here's the thing. You have to understand that when somebody finds out about you for the first time, they don't just naturally say, wow, what an amazing individual. This person's incredible. I want to do all my records with them. They say this, they're going about their life. They see an ad, they see a post, somebody mentions you, whatever. And they say, hmm, they have gone from top of funnel to middle of funnel. Once they've said, hmm, I want to learn more about this guy. At that point in the middle of the funnel is where they're suspicious. They don't want to get ripped off. They think maybe this guy would be a good fit, but I need to learn a lot more before I decide if he's a good fit or not. This is important stuff. And most people's arrogance really screws them at this stage in the process. It's just like, well, my work speaks for itself. No, it doesn't. Like you need to do more than that because there's three groups of people. There's people who will never hire you. There's people who will definitely hire you. And there's people who maybe will hire you. An awful lot of working on your business is taking people out of the maybe category and putting them into the definitely category. When you're working on your business, You're trying to scoot that line, that border between maybe and definitely, and you're trying to move it more towards maybe so that you get more definites. And this is what you're doing in the middle of the funnel. You are nurturing these people who are interested in you, not just being like, oh, my work speaks for itself, not this stupid egotistical bullshit. You guys know me. I don't like cussing in the podcast, but I do. Yes, you do. People mess themselves up on this stage of the process when what you should be trying to do is grease the tracks. You want to make it so as soon as they hit your middle of the funnel, they're like, whoa, oh, he's fantastic. Look at all this. Look at all these reviews. Look at all. Look how nice his website is. All this stuff, they should slide down right into your lead generation form. Yep. So let's talk about some things we can do in the middle of our funnel to increase interest, to take someone from, uh, I've heard of them into, I'm interested in them. Right. And that noise that they'll make once they've gone from middle of funnel to bottom of funnel is, damn, right? There's another cuss word in the podcast for you guys. You're welcome. But you have to take this part of the funnel and you have to make a great first impression. You have to do something here. So let's talk about this first thing here, and that is reviews. We've already talked about reviews a little bit, so we're going to breeze past this. But first of all, what do reviews do for us as far as creating interest? And then second, Chris, how do we get reviews? Well, we ask for them. It's that simple. We're not going to justify that with an answer because we have an entire episode on how to get more online reviews for your studio so you can stand out from your competitors. That's episode four of the podcast. That was our fourth episode. That's a super easy one. Go back and listen to that. There's some straightforward stuff, but let's talk about why reviews get you more interest. Totally. And we're going to talk about my favorite restaurant in Columbus, Ohio. Favorite restaurant, period, really. 
It's called Commune. It is brand spanking new. It hasn't even been open six months, I don't think. It's a vegetarian joint. Boo. The guys who own it have never owned a business before. Really? They've never been in food service before. They're the most popular restaurant in Columbus. And here's the thing. One of the reasons for that is because both of them read the E-Myth Revisited. I'm friends with these guys and I told them about this book and they ate it up and it's had a big impact on their business. One of the things that they've got going for them is there's a lot of buzz and people are like, oh yeah, Commune, I heard about that place. If you're thinking about Commune and eating there, you Google it and you see- I've already Googled it, yeah. Yeah, and how many reviews do you see there? I see 139 Google reviews with an average rating of 4.7 stars. Right. Good enough in my books to go give a chance for a new restaurant. Absolutely, especially in a town like Columbus, Ohio. We're not like- humongous 139 five-star or 4.7 star reviews when the restaurant's only been open for less than a year is insane so all of a sudden i went from hmm that sounds kind of good to damn now i'm thinking i might go i'm what you would call a hot lead and again this is different for food than it is for us but i think it's a good illustration because we've all been to restaurants before well i want to make a very big point here if you think through the psychology of what reviews do to us it will take you from, oh, I've heard of this new restaurant to, damn, I need to go try it. Now I'm interested because I see there's 139 reviews in 4.7 stars. That's great for a new restaurant. This is for a 10 to $15 meal. This is not like me putting my baby of music into someone else's hands, which is a far more important thing to me. This is a, a meal I'm going to literally poop out in like a day. So if you think through this, reviews are that much more important for us as recording studios or mixers or mastering engineers because we're working on someone's baby, something that is a part of their soul. So this is why reviews are so important because if you look in, at reviews for movies and for meals, these little nickel and dime things, you can be damn sure that people want to see reviews for your studio when they're about to hand over hundreds or thousands of dollars for something that they have put their heart and soul into. Yeah. They want to see some social proof. Social proof is that like, oh, other humans like this. It must be good, right? That's what the review does. And when someone goes from, hmm, to wanting to look into you more, they're probably going to Google you. And if you look like a badass online, congratulations, you're a badass. That's it. Yep. That's seriously it. And so the idea of reviews is really, really effective because it really greases the wheels. When I got over 100 five-star reviews, when I first broke that barrier, it dramatically changed everything. Honestly, I've stopped asking for reviews nearly as much as I used to just because it's a little ridiculous. It's like, I think like almost all the reviews are five stars. It looks fake. It's the same with our podcast. Like we have over 200 or maybe it's just a hundred. I don't even know anymore. Five-star reviews on iTunes. And so we, when's the last time we asked for reviews for this podcast? Side note, if you guys love this podcast, if you've gotten value out of it, and you want us to be able to improve it, get better guests, put more into it, put more effort, please write us a review on iTunes. That is the single biggest thing that can affect this podcast growing. All right, let's move on. Now, we've talked about reviews as a way to gain more interest for your studio, to turn someone from, oh, I've heard of this studio, or I've heard of this guy, to, damn, I need to work with them. And by the way, don't just think Google reviews. There's also Facebook, but that's a side note. Yep. Now... Let's talk about another area. And this kind of goes hand in hand with the Facebook advertising conversation we had at the top of funnel, but this is a different, this is middle of funnel. Someone has become aware of your studio. Maybe they checked out your website or your Facebook page or your Instagram or whatever, but now you want to get them back. You're trying to nurture them long-term. And this is a great place for retargeting ads. We talked about this on episode 88, an easy way to turn $30 a month into thousands of dollars. This is 
hands down, one of the first things you should do if you're going to run any sort of paid advertising for your studio is to set up a retargeting campaign. And all this does, you can do this through Google, you can do it through Facebook. There's other ways you can do this. All this does is anyone who sees your studio's Facebook page or they go to your studio's Instagram page or they go to your website if you have one and you have this set up properly, you can now show that person an ad on Facebook, let's just say once a week or once a month for the next 30 days or the next 60 or 90 days. And this is extremely powerful when it comes to staying top of mind, because again, you never know when that person is ready to actually hire you. It may be three months from now when they finally finish writing their album that they're ready to record. So by you continuously showing up in their newsfeed or continuously showing up on Google every time they watch a YouTube video on YouTube or whatever, if you can be the one who's still showing up, and there's other ways to do it. This isn't the only way, but this is a way to do it. It's very affordable. You can be the one that pops up at the right time when they're like, okay, I'm ready to book. And oh man, I've been watching this guy's ads for weeks or months now. I'm going to finally hit him up for a quote. I'm finally going to show him interest in working with him and hopefully hand over your hard-earned dollars. But this is the most economical way to do Facebook ads, specifically Facebook ads. After we did that episode, episode 88, I set up a dollar a day ad campaign for FilePass, which is one of our sponsors today, which is my and Trevor's company. And we've got like the return on ad spend for that is like, 10x, 20x what we're spending a day. Like it's insane. (laughs) That's awesome. What we're spending on that. And we're just doing it in small batches right now. We'll eventually start to ramp that up. But that's just an easy, easy way to pick up low hanging fruit for your business. And this is, again, when it comes to working on your business, this is a way that you can work on your business to increase interest in your studio. Anything else I'd add to the uh, retargeting conversation, Chris? Do not underestimate the power of retargeting. It's so cheap. It's so effective. The risk is almost zero. You know, what are you going to do? Lose $35 a month or something like that? Like, it's awesome. Everybody should be messing with it. Let me talk about our next one here. One of the next things you can do to work on your middle of funnel is you can work on conversion optimization. Conversion optimization is this idea that people come to your website and they either reach out and contact you or they don't. If your website's better, a larger percentage of people will contact you. So let's say... You've got a pretty crappy website. A hundred people come to your website thinking about working with you. They said, hmm, and they begin to do their research. And one of them reaches out to work with you. That's not good conversion optimization. There's stuff you can do to make your website way, way, way better that maybe 15 people out of 100 will reach out to you and inquire about working with you. There's a lot of stuff you can do. And a huge part of my business growth over the years has been messing with conversion optimization. Conversion optimization at its most simple is one, doing best practice, which takes a little bit to learn about, and then two, having multiple versions of your website and running a split test. It's really, really easy to set your website up so that half of the traffic that goes to your website automatically goes to one page and the other half automatically goes to another, and you can create a science experiment, a la seventh grade here, where you have a control and a variable, and say, well, what would happen if I pitched um, a free mixing sample versus if I didn't pitch a free mixing sample, how would that affect my conversion rate on the website? So you run both of those versions. The tool that I love to use is Thrive Architect. Thrive Architect is dope. Brian taught me all about it and I use it every day. Side note with that, that's a technical one. If you're not on WordPress and you're not using Thrive Architect to build your entire site, it's really difficult. I will say Google Optimize has improved things 
immeasurably. Like you can use Google Optimize to do split tests. You can just do a separate page so you can have an A and a B. So go check out Google Optimize if you want to do an easy split test tool for free, by the way. That's who I first started using was Google Optimize. And I've mentioned this in the podcast before. I'll never forget the first split test I ran was a complicated lead form versus a very simplified lead form. And the improvement in signup rate, I want to say was like 346%. Crazy. Yeah, that is huge. So one thing there, if you are unsure on what to do as far as a split test, what should version one of the website be versus version two of the website? If you're confused about that, there is a tool. I think they have a free, like a free version that'll give you up to a hundred views of this. It's called Hot Jar. We've talked about it on the podcast before. It'll be on our show notes page at the sixfigurehomestudio.com slash 93. That's slash 93. You can find a link to Hot Jar on our show notes page. What it does is it'll hook up to your site and then it'll anonymously record what people do when they come to your page. Sounds creepy, but it's not. And this will give you a really good idea really quickly of what's working on your site and what's not working. What you'll tend to find is people skip right over big blocks of text. They don't stop and read it. No one will ever read that big block of text you put on your site. People do not do what you think they're going to do on your site. You may have a form here or a button there and they're not even clicking it or they don't even see it. You will not know this stuff until you start to see a hundred plus people go through your site and you're watching these videos and people do really weird stuff. Or you find out that a music player is not loading on your page and they're not even able to listen to your portfolio player or that their ad block is blocking a major portion of your site. And you didn't know that because you didn't have something like this installed. This is a great way to figure out why your website is not converting. So this paired with Google Optimize is a great place to start if you're trying to work on your business, specifically with improving your website's conversion rate on split tests. Super sweet stuff. I would say too, you know, I've mentioned the business coaching thing on the website, on the podcast in the past. I'm not currently taking new students, but I will be again in the future because it's super fun. This is a great thing to work with a business coach on. Split testing is complicated and there's a lot of nuance to it. And a slightly good idea can have a massive improvement on your business. So if you're in a position where you're like, oh my gosh, things are going really well. I have a lot of customers, but I'm working on optimizing. I'm working on being able to handle that much work. Check out chrisgrandmastering.com slash coaching. Again, I'm not taking anybody right now, but I am looking at applications as they come in and uh, we'll be taking more people in the future. So if that's you, check that out. All right. So the last thing on the middle of the funnel here, things to work on in the middle of your funnel, and that is nurturing. Chris, can you talk about this a little bit more? What you'd be my nurturing, specifically in using it to turn awareness into interest? How do you nurture people that are aware of your studio, but not interested in your studio? Well, if you're in a situation where, let's remove the internet from this equation. Let's say you met somebody, it's 1985, you met somebody, they expressed, hmm, maybe we'll record with you someday. And that was it. You saw them on a show and then you saw them at a coffee shop three, four weeks later and you walked up started a conversation, tried to become friendly with them, and then just sort of threw in like, yeah, man, are you guys working on any new songs? You guys recording anything? At that point, you are nurturing them. You are in a position where you are hopefully getting them to consider working with you and getting them to explore it just a little bit more. Yeah, I love the thought behind that. Take it away from the internet because if you can take it to person to person, it makes this thing a lot easier to grasp because when you start thinking conceptually from one to many, it's really hard to grasp this sort of thing, but one-to-one, everyone can think about, oh, I ran into this person at the coffee shop, you know, the local coffee shop. Maybe I bought them a coffee or a latte or whatever they had back in the 80s. They probably didn't have lattes. Now I'm nurturing this relationship long-term. There are ways to do very similar things on a one-to-many scale, but first you have to understand the concept behind it. And the easiest way to do that is a one-to-one setting. Yeah. 
Well, and so let's take this back into internet world, but let's keep it one-to-one. And again, we talked about avatars, this idea of like, man, Steve, my friend Steve was the best customer I've ever had. Where do I find more Steves? Let's say you go on the internet, you start running ads, you're targeting well, you're getting more Steves. Ask the question again, well, let's say Steve had never heard of me. How would I get Steve to become more interested in potentially working with me? And depending on your genre, you probably would want to follow this guy on Instagram and you'd probably want to occasionally comment on things he posted, right? You probably want to say nice things to him and be like, dude, great guitar tone on his like little video that he made or something like that. You're probably going to want to do things that keeps you top of mind and just really simple social skills can help with that. If you're trying to befriend somebody or if you're in a position where you're trying to date somebody, you're going to try to be visible. You're going to try to be around them. You're going to try to be top of mind. Think about how you can do that. If you can figure that out, that can be the difference between having no customers and having lots of customers. So we've talked about top of funnel. We've talked about middle of funnel. Let's move on down the funnel now. You have generated awareness for your studio through some of the stuff we've talked about today. You have turned that awareness into interest. Hopefully they've started a conversation with you. That's really kind of when someone moves from the middle of funnel to the bottom of funnel, when that conversation has started, where they've shown interest in working with you. Now we're in the bottom of funnel. How do we turn that interest? How do we turn those conversations into paid customers? You know, we've talked about this, hmm, is sort of this, they are in your top of funnel now. And this damn is this sort of, they're moving out of the middle of the funnel and at the bottom of the funnel. I think I just messed that up. You guys know what I said. This idea of, and they're the bottom of the funnel, I think they're especially at the bottom of the funnel when they say, man, we want to work with you. When they make a comment of, let me talk to the guys. I think we could probably record a song with you. When they make some indication of purchase intent, they are definitely bottom of funnel. And the most important people, the most money that you can make the fastest in any business is to continue to warm up, nurture, and follow up with these bottom of funnel leads who have been like, Mm, yeah, we'd love to work with you. We got a song we're thinking about. Let me figure out some stuff. I'll get back with you. And a huge percentage of musicians, we all know this, are going to say that and then like that, fart in the wind, they are gone. Yep. The ball is in your court to continue to follow up with them. And the psychological issue that keeps people from doing this is fear of rejection. You might be a great audio engineer. And the reason you are not as successful as you'd like to be might just be that you have fear of rejection. So we have one thing that every single person needs to implement if you were to have a good, tight bottom of funnel. (laughs) Damn. (laughs) Kind of a low end. No, I was thinking actually like a low end, good, tight, low end. But I guess you took it from like an actual butt. Anyways, implement a... (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I took it from an actual butt. You heard it here, folks. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I've lost myself at this one. Here we go. Bottom of funnel. Here we are at bottom of funnel. You're working on your business. What do you do? Set a follow-up sequence. Get a good, solid follow-up sequence in place. I have an entire guide for this. Go to followup.guide. That's the URL, followup.guide. And I walk you through literally my 60-day follow-up template that I use for artists that reach out to me with interest in working together. I'll send them a quote or a proposal, and then I will follow up for the next 60 days whether they reply or not. And I feel like if we do not have a good follow-up sequence in place, you're missing out on up to 50% of your income. And Chris, have you been improving your follow-up sequence a little bit, your follow-up skills? I have been, yes. Since we've gone to quote only, it's definitely changed things. But yeah, I've gotten much better at follow-ups and it has been very, very interesting to see the impact of that. I'm probably going to switch my CRM. 
I'm thinking about it. Uh, right now I use close.io. Or close.com. They bought the .com. Good for them. Yes. They bought the .com. But one of the easy ways to think about a CRM, like how do you build a follow-up sequence? The simplest, cheapest, you know, if you are dirt freaking poor and trying to figure out how to do this on the cheap, go to the grocery store and buy some stick-it notes and take a wall and put some lines on that wall with a marker or a pen or a pencil or tape or whatever and have different columns of, hey, this person I'm following up with, this person owes me money, this person might want to record, this is somebody I'm trying to work with but haven't contacted yet, and just build a, a physical CRM on the wall in your studio where you move a stick-it note with their band name or their artist name across these different columns. That's the simplest thing that you can do as a CRM to manage a follow-up sequence. Yeah, I want to just back up really quick to make sure everyone's still following along. We're talking about building a good follow-up sequence in place. And that way, like when someone reaches out with interest, you are following up with them for the next 60 days, whether or not they reply. That is the key to this. Now, the CRM or customer relationship management system that you use is a simple tool that you can use to facilitate those follow-ups, to automate the reminders so the things do not slip through the cracks. Chris uses close.com or close.io. I use Pipedrive, which my affiliate link for that is pipedrive.studio. Both do the same thing, but Chris is proposing a simple posted note CRM. If you go back to episode seven of the podcast, it's an oldie but a goodie. We have a full episode about how CRMs work and how you can implement one in your studio and how we specifically use them. But I want to, I want to say one thing here. First of all, I admire the scrappiness, Chris, but Why, thank you. I would never do that ever for two reasons. First of all, Trello will do that for free in a software form in which I don't have to buy post-it notes and manually draw on my wall and manually move things around. Although I do like the thought of it. If you're the guy that like refuses to sell his board because he likes the tactile feel of the faders, maybe you're the person that wants to buy post-it notes and manually move them across the wall. I am pretty sure that if Buttrock Barry were to do a CRM, this is how he would do it. But if that's the case, <laughs> I'm not going to judge you. But whether you're using Trello or post-it notes and you're manually moving it around, all the deals in your pipeline, I think that's missing out on half the value you get from a CRM, which is putting every single contact for the project into one view on the screen. Meaning if I have an email thread going from this, the uh, A&R guy, uh, email thread from the vocalist, email thread from the bass player, from the producer who recorded the project, I have all these different people in one view and every single email is in that view. That's what CRMs do that Post-it Notes and Trello do not do. And if you're trying to follow up with people, you don't want to let any emails slip through the cracks, especially the emails when you're on the project. And that's where I think a CRM really pays off. Worst case scenario, if you want a free, just a free option, HubSpot has a free CRM. There's a lot of limitations there, so it kind of sucks, but it's better than nothing. At the very least, you will be able to follow up, which is the whole goal here. Well, let me talk about this Post-it Note thing a little bit. I'm not being defensive here. I think it's easy for people to imagine how much more effective they would be in their customer follow-up and in their sales sequences if they visualize a physical system. This idea of like, hey, I've got like a white, you could do it with a whiteboard and you could have, you know, one column on the whiteboard is people you're trying to, to work with. Another column is people who have expressed interest. Another column is people you're currently working with. Another column is people that you are done working with but haven't been paid. Something simple like that. If you can visualize that in your head and you're moving names from left to right across that board, that's essentially what a CRM does, except a CRM does it so much better. It's great. Yeah, Pipedrive literally has that view where every deal you have, every project is a card on there and you move it from stage to stage depending on 
what you're doing with that person or where they are in your pipeline. So if they're top, middle or bottom of funnel or the different stages, the sub stages within each of those areas, that's getting a little too nerdy there, but you get the gist of it. If you're ready to work on the bottom of your funnel, a CRM is a fantastic place to work on your business that will generate long-term revenue. Because when we start talking about long-term nurturing, once someone finishes a project with you, they've now moved to the middle of your funnel or even the top of your funnel. They're aware of your studio and they've worked with you before. So they're kind of in a weird between top and middle funnel, but now you can nurture them long-term because you're going to set up reminders in your CRM six, eight, 10, 12 months from now when they're ready to book again on their next project. And now you're going to be showing up at the top of their email inbox, right when it's ready for them time to book studio time again. And you can do that because of your CRM. Otherwise you're not going to remember to do this. Totally. I had something I was going to say. I completely forgot about it, but I would say a CRM is one of these things that will definitely pay for itself. If you have any amount of interest in your services, a CRM is really, really easy. Oh, here's what I was going to say. At Facebook, they have a saying amongst their developers team. When they're building out new features, when they're figuring out how to run the enormous ship that is Facebook, the saying that they use all the time is perfect is the enemy of done. What I see a lot is that us as audio engineers, we fixate on building perfect systems when in fact we should be done. We should figure out a way to be done building a system that at least kind of works. This is big in the startup world. It's called MVP, minimum viable product. Anytime you're building out a feature or you're trying to build out a system or some sort of new thing, what's the minimum viable amount of work? And viable is the key here. You can't just do minimum amount of work has to be the minimum amount of work that is viable for the solution you're trying to work towards. If you constantly strive toward perfection, you will never put anything out. You'll never ship anything. So if you're trying to work on your business, that is a crucially important to think about. If you're trying to work on all funnel phases at all time and all the different things we talked about, that's going to be very difficult for you if you're trying to be perfect in all those different areas. Yeah. The solution here is not to build something perfect. The solution is to build something that improves things. Yeah. When you're working on your business, not for it, it's really easy to get like what I would call like a grade school or a high school mentality, which is you're going for 100%. You're not going for 100%. You're going for like 80%. You're like, hey, this basically works most of the time. Even if it works 80% of the time, that's a great system. It saved you time or it significantly made you money. It doesn't have to be perfect. The number one thing that I see people mess up when they're starting to spend time working on their business, not for it, is that they try to make something perfect rather than something that is good enough. All right. So just kind of wrap this up, Chris. There's one more point you wanted to talk about as we kind of address all the things we talked about today. We're talking about the top of funnel, middle of funnel, bottom of funnel. We talked about too many things, really. Sorry, guys. This is truly an advice buffet episode because nobody's going to do all of this, but everyone should do something related to this if you have the time and you need to make the time. If you don't have the time, you need to listen to the last episode, episode 93, where we help you get the time so that you can work on these things. But everybody needs to work on one of these things right now. It's just up to you to pick which one of these things is most important. Absolutely. Any final thoughts as we wrap this episode up, Chris? Man, you know, I say it all the time and I know it annoys some people, but I wish I knew this stuff when I was younger. There's so much that would have changed my life and improved my marriage to just think about this stuff and to have known it earlier. And I can't help but be bitter at our education system. I had a good education. I went to one of the best high schools in the state of Ohio, which is one of the best high schools in the nation. And I went to a pretty good university. You know, I went to a public school and it was great. You know, it was expensive, but what the freaking frick? Why didn't they teach this stuff? Oh my gosh, that would have been so useful. Yeah. I mean, 
We should just have an episode where we just shit on the whole college system. I'm working on it. I've got, <laughs> I've got an outline. Stay tuned for that. That's actually my most popular video on YouTube right now. Really? I rank for the audio engineering term, I think. And so, or at least audio engineering degree. And so people find it and most agree, surprisingly, because it is ridiculous when you really point out the flaws in our education system, specifically around audio engineering degrees. We're not going to go down that rabbit hole. That's for another day, another time. Well, let me throw out one thought with this. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're an hour and a half in. Why not? You know, our education system, particularly our college system is struggling right now. We're in a bubble. We're in a bubble for sure. We're in a bubble. Kind of like the uh, real estate bubble in 08. It's going to burst at some point. Yeah. It's going to burst. You can't continue to give kids government loans that, side note, guess, you know what happens if you decide to go bankrupt and you have student debt? You still have student debt. You still have student debt. Guess what? If you die, Chris. What? Your parents get your debt <laughs> or your wife and children get your debt. Yeah. You cannot escape the student debt very easily. There are very few situations you can. And that's complicated from a, an education standpoint. We'll talk about that more in the future. I don't think our education system is dead, but I think there are many opportunities to improve it. Some of that is starting to teach kids basic business knowledge, basic business knowledge so that they can start a business and understand this basic stuff that we teach in the podcast. So stick around. We got an episode we're working on for that. We just have to make sure that we don't make too many enemies when we drop that one. Bring them on. So that is it for this episode of the Six Figure Home Studio Podcast. Again, I know that was a lot to take in. This is truly an advice buffet episode. So there were a lot of links, a lot of things we mentioned. And what you can get, all of the links we mentioned on this podcast at the sixfigurehomestudio.com slash 94, that's slash 94, including that new uh, email course I'm putting out soon called, I don't know what it's called, like Kickstart Your Marketing or something about marketing funnels. I'm doing a great job at pitching this. I'm going to walk you through the three different areas we talked about today. Top of funnel, tofu, middle of funnel, mofu, bottom of funnel, bofu, and then specific things to work on in each of those three areas. So it's kind of an extension of this episode of the podcast. If you want that guide, it'll be on our show notes page, the link to that. Or if you just want to go straight there, you can go to the sixfigurehomestudio.com slash funnel. That's F-U-N-N-E-L sixfigurehomestudio.com slash funnel. Next week's episode, I believe we have a third parter of this. I think we're going to actually talk about something related to simplifying your business, something we didn't really get to touch on today. If anything, we made your business more complicated because of all the stuff you think you have to work on now. Next week's episode, if we are doing the episode, I think, again, we're still going week to week here, so I don't, we haven't recorded next week's episode yet. But I believe we're going to talk about things you can work on your business to simplify it. And once you successfully simplify your business, there's a lot of positive byproducts of doing so. So I think that'll be next week's episode, bright and early, Tuesday morning at 6 a.m. If not, it'll be a surprise. Who knows? Till next time, thanks so much for listening and happy hustling. Whoa.